Well, I wonder if you, uh, like me, ever read certain verses in the scriptures, passages, and whether you say this out loud or you just say it to yourself, that's impossible. You ever read scriptures like that, passages like that? That's impossible. I'm assuming many of you here were here last week when Kondo shared out of uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be back in chapter 2 today, but as he shared out of Philippians chapter 2, and he read these verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then those of you who remember or who are familiar with verses 6 all the way through 11, one of the most beautiful passages in all of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes about our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he existed in the form of God, existed eternity prior to Bethlehem, his entrance into the human race, who though he existed in the form of God, did not cling to that position in heaven but took on flesh, became the very likeness of man, not losing any of his godhood, but becoming fully God, fully man. But when our Lord Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby, as a boy, as a young man, we're told and and we believe that the scriptures teach that he gave up what we call his independent Uh, attributes, his power to use for, for himself and dependent upon the Holy Spirit to live out his 33 years on the earth. He humbled himself, we're told, by becoming a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he is the ultimate picture of humility. He is the ultimate picture of valuing others as more important than ourselves. And then it goes on to say that God highly exalted him after he rose from the grave and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who he is. That's our risen Savior. And yet in this passage, what we are to be so overwhelmed by, and it's overwhelming to think that God in his glory became a man, became a servant, died a criminal's death on the cross. And that example of unbelievable humility is your example and my example of how to live as Christ followers. Now, when I think about that, maybe when you think about that, I want to say, (laughs) this is not only a lifelong journey, it, it sounds pretty impossible. But the fact that God has commanded us to live like him, to have this mindset of humility, 
means that with his power, by his spirit, it's not impossible. And so the passage continues. I want want, uh, this to be our focus this morning. The passage continues in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 12. It'll be up on the screen if you have your Bible. I want to encourage you to follow along. As we see the application, Jesus is our example. Jesus is the example of valuing others as more important than yourself. And then we're commanded to live that out. Look at verse 12 with me. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 12, verses 12 and 13 are such vitally important verses for us to understand. Certainly as we think about living in humility, as we think about valuing others as more important than ourselves. But these verses talk about how we grow spiritually. We are not just saved. We do not just become children of God and then hang out till heaven. It's not how we are supposed to live life. It is crystal clear in scripture that you and I are to become more and more like Jesus every day. Every day. We call that spiritual growth. We call that theologically sanctification. We call that becoming more and more like Christ. And my friends, that must be our commitment. That must be our priority because that's God's priority for you and for me. Verses 12 and 13 give us a couple really key important principles. Here's the first one. That spiritual growth is not achieved automatically. Spiritual growth is not achieved automatically it doesn't just automatically happen that we grow in christ right if it did we'd all be incredibly godly mature christians and we're not we're not so it's not automatic in fact if you look at these two verses you'll see a key verb a key word and it's the word work work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. That is a very intense action word. What that's saying, my friends, is that you and I have a very key responsibility in, in whether or not we grow spiritually. Now, some of you are familiar with the phrase, I'm sure, the spiritual disciplines. Many of you know that term, the spiritual disciplines. It's this idea of God has certain things for us to do which help facilitate spiritual growth in our lives. 
We're supposed to read our Bibles. We're supposed to read our Bibles often. I think we're supposed to read our Bibles daily. And it makes an enormous difference, my friends, when we fill our lives consistently with God's word. It just does. So one of the main spiritual disciplines is to read scripture. It's kind of sad that it has to be called a discipline, isn't it? It's supposed to be a joy. It's supposed to be a joy. Yet how many of us at certain seasons of our walk with Jesus have set that alarm clock, 6 a.m., 5.30, and you're saying, okay, wait a minute. 6.30, 7, whatever it might be, to get up and spend a half hour in God's word or, or whatever that time might be. And sometimes we look back and we say, you know, for a season, for a period of time, for a period of six months, for a period of year, for a period of five years, I was really consistent in getting up. I was disciplined, we would say, in reading my Bible. And the question is always, what happened? What happened? Well, sadly, we get distracted. Sometimes we get lazy. Sometimes our priorities aren't what they need to be, right? That's right. So one of the spiritual disciplines that is critical to our growth in Christ is to spend regular time in the word of God. How about prayer? How about talking to God? And there's all kinds of ways we can do this. We can have prayer lists. We can have prayer journals. We can have prayer partners. We can say when I'm driving to work in the morning or driving home or going to pick up my kids or whatever it might be, I'm not turning the radio on. I'm talking to Jesus when I'm in my car. Don't close your eyes. Sure you wouldn't. But I'm talking to Jesus. You see, it's really vital and valuable in our lives when we have certain experiences that are very consistent in our lives where we do the spiritual disciplines. You know, the scriptures talk about fasting. That is a hard one. But it is a spiritual discipline. How about personal worship? How about corporate worship consistently being here? But Jeff, it's summer, okay, you know, we'll see you, we'll see a little bit over the summer. We got all kinds of stuff we're doing. I get it, kind of, I get it, but we want you to be here. Why? Because being with God's people, being in community with God's people who love you and support you, who can bless you, who can encourage you, who can challenge you is so vital. It's one of the spiritual disciplines. Work out your salvation. Do you know that there's actually a verse, a passage, that helps us understand that? It's really, really important. It's in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Some of you maybe have memorized. This, these are two good verses to memorize, actually. Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train. The word is disciplined. The Greek word is gumnazo. Gumnazo. We get our word gymnasium. So think of the gym. Okay? That's really very much the picture. Train yourself. Work out hard. Sweat. Hurt. For the purpose of godliness. Does that sound like it's work? Yeah. It is work. For physical training is of some value, but godliness, this is so awesome, godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Some people are are kind of obsessive workout people. 
I, I understand how that it can become addictive. You're feeling good. You're getting strong. You're getting in shape. And some of you are saying, there really are people like that? There really are people like that? Yeah, there are. But physical discipline doesn't even compare to spiritual discipline. Do you see that? This is a, a contrast. Not that physical discipline is wrong or bad. It isn't. But compared to disciplining yourself, training yourself, going to the gym spiritually is so much more valuable. Because it not only has value in this life, you're becoming like Jesus. But it has value for the life to come. So when we think about this idea of spiritual growth, of sanctification, we have a part to play. We are one of the partners in this team. But we certainly aren't the only ones. We certainly aren't. Okay, let me, let me give you a second thought in addition to uh, that it's not achieved automatically. Spiritual growth is not acquired casually. Spiritual growth is not acquired casually. What do I mean by that? Work out your salvation. What's the rest of the verse? With fear and trembling. Whoa. With fear and trembling. What is he saying? You know what he's saying? This is incredibly serious. This is supremely important in your life. This idea of you and I growing into the likeness of Jesus, becoming who God created us to be, is something that is deadly serious. And I guess the obvious question to all of us is that how we're approaching it. Look at what, uh, what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Some of you know 28. Really important also see 29. And we know that God... We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. But look at 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know what God's end game is for you? To be like Jesus. Crystal clear. Crystal clear in scripture is to be like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's the, that's the goal. It's not to be acquired casually because fear and trembling. Wow. Let me give you a third. Our spiritual growth is not attained individually. You see the next verse, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. If we try to live the Christian life if we, we try to live out what God's word teaches without the help of the Holy Spirit, you know what we are? A train wreck. We are a train wreck. We are miserable failures. Because the standard is so unbelievably high. Our calling in Christ to be like Jesus. For it is God who is at work in you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? You know, the scriptures are very crystal clear. They say when we, be, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we acknowledge our sin and we trust him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says not only do we get to go to heaven, not only are we children of God, but his very spirit comes to dwell in us. Is that mind-blowing? 
That is so amazing. And it is the power of that spirit as we yield our lives to that spirit, as we cry out to the spirit, help me, Holy Spirit. Give me the words to say. Give me the patience I need. Give me joy in my life through this incredibly difficult trial. Holy Spirit, I can't do it. I need you to help me. God is at work in you. But, you know, I have found very much in my life, I need to yield to the spirit. I need to be uh, conscious of the spirit. I need to cry out and ask him to help me. And, and I believe we all do. It's not attained individually. Look at what Paul says. This is so beautiful. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder. That's Paul's part. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Do you see both both partners at work? I worked harder than anybody, Paul says. But it was the grace of God through the power of God in my life. It's a partnership. Work out your salvation for God is at work in you. That's it. Work out your salvation. Do the things that God says help us grow and flourish spiritually and to become more like Jesus. And God will be pleased and God will empower and God will be at work in you. And you and I, my friends, will begin to see and others around us will begin to see what we call spiritual fruit. It's pretty amazing when people say, <laughs> It's so obvious God's at work in your life. I see it. I see patience where I never used to see patience in your life. I see how you're handling some really tough stuff. Five years ago, you would have been a disaster. You would have been a mess. You would have been freaking out. And now it's just like there's a calm in your life. There's a peace in your life. God is at work in you. I even see joy. I've not seen joy for years in you. And that's because God is at work, my friends. He's at work. He partners with us. Such a beautiful thing. Do you ever feel like you maybe go weeks and weeks and weeks without even thinking much about Jesus or crying out to him? And you're kind of like, why am I so depressed? Or why, why do I feel so aimless right now in my life? Or why does almost anything that happens just irritate me? You know, there's three people in front of me at the stop sign, and I want to just honk my horn. Come on, people. You know, I mean, it's so easy, even when you're a believer, to kind of shift into this, hey, Jesus, I got it. I got it. I call you when I need you. I got it. And he says, oh, let's see. Let's see how that works for a while. He's at work in us, but we need to work too. That's the point. Okay, you know, verse 14, do you notice this verse? Oh, you talk about convicting. Because Paul moves on to say this, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, no, you're going to talk about this, Jeff? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have to. <laughs> do everything without Grumbling or arguing. You know, last week, if you were here, Kondo talked about these two women. Chapter 4, verse 2. They're two women, Yodia and Sinaki. Remember? 
who clearly there's just some major friction going on in the church with these women. And um, there's some arguing. There's obviously some grumbling going on. And uh, I think it's so, it's so interesting the way Paul addresses them. It's almost like, okay, ladies, I'm not going to embarrass you publicly, but here's the deal. I am asking that you agree together in the Lord. Now, is that what you say to your six-year-old and eight-year-old sons when they're, like, ready to kill each other? I'm just asking you to agree in the Lord, boys. <laughs> you know? So it's like, okay, Paul, you're being really gracious here. That's nice. Agree in the Lord that what? That you're wrong, that you need to confess your sin, that you need to quit grumbling and arguing and disputing and fighting. And we adults can be just as bad. We're just a little more um, sophisticated about it, I think. We can be just as bad. Let me talk about this word grumbling. And, and many believe, many commentators, I agree with them, believe that Paul's alluding back to the Israelites in the wilderness. Those of you that have read those portions of the book of Exodus, that's all they did was grumble and grumble and grumble. The word grumble actually is the word murmur, murmuring, same word. Okay, any of you ever had this experience? Somebody in authority over you. Let's start with your parents. A boss, a police officer. You put a, think of a person in authority over you who kind of dresses you down, who calls you out. And you have to stand there and at least visibly take it. And you, in your mind, say, are you done? You don't say it out loud. So when they're done, you turn around. And what do you do? Oh, you grumble. And if they hear you, this is, this is called major busted. They say, what'd you say? What'd you say? And you go, uh, uh, I just, uh, mom, I've just... Thank the Lord. I'm so grateful, Jesus, for the mother that you've given me. She's, she just loves me so well and is so kind and sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And she knows you didn't say that. That's the picture of grumbling. I mean, that, that's what he's talking about here. And we Christians, you know, we are just so good at, in certain contexts, playing the godly card. Oh, I'm so godly. Aren't you upset with us? No. No. And then we just go home to our spouse and we just rag all over our boss, right? Because we grumble. Okay, now here's the convicting part I want to share with you because I am going to speak very much out of my own life, okay? I was thinking about why do I grumble and argue, and I'm an arguer. I mean, some of you know that I came from a big family, one of six, five boys. Some of our argument was, you know, like this but also a lot of verbal argument. Well, why? Because I always want to prove I'm right. Is my wife here? There she is. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for not saying amen, honey, because I really do. And, and I'm an arguer, and I'm an debater like some of you are, and I just have a hard time saying, you're right, I'm wrong. I do. And, and I think it's gotten better, I think. But here, here's probably, and again, I'm going to be really honest with you about my struggle. I'm entitled I grumble because I'm entitled. I'm entitled to being treated really well by everybody. I really, oh my goodness. I need to quit looking at my wife. She's over there. I do. I pretty much know how to get my own way in almost every scenario. 
And so therefore, what happens when you feel like you're entitled? Get out of my way, everybody. You know, I deserve better than this. What's happening to me is unfair. It's wrong. I worked hard. I've been a good person. I followed Jesus. I'm entitled. I deserve better than this. You ever go there? Oh, my goodness. Some of us live there. I'm entitled. I've realized that this really is a major struggle in my life. And when I read this phrase, which I've meditated on this week, I've been so deeply convicted. Value others as more important than yourself. That just crushes a spirit of entitlement. Value others as more important than yourself. And you struggle with the entitlement, sin, it's what it is, it's called what it is, I'm entitled. I deserve better. Well, entitlement has a cousin, and that's what I'm called the I'm elite, or I'm special. I'm special, I'm elite. I'm special, I'm unique, and that makes me important and valuable. And if I'm really honest, it makes me more important than you. I really, I got to admit it, I really am the center of my universe, you know? And if you live that out, wow, it's so hard not to be this way. It is for me. Value others above yourself is what Jesus did. Here's my third. You notice I'm doing all ease. This is, this is my shout out to Kondo, the king of alliteration, I call him. I've earned it. I've earned it. I've earned to be respected. I've earned to be important. I've earned getting my own way. I've played by the rules. People who don't mess up my life. I've earned it. And sometimes I can be just like the eldest son in the parable of the prodigal son who just went off on his dad. You guys remember that passage? Because he's always been good. He's always done what's right. And we can be so full, so full of that, my friends. I can. You can. I've earned it. I don't deserve this junk that I'm going through. I don't deserve to be treated like this. And that can just be so deeply ingrained in our core. And Jesus, Jesus just kept saying, value others. Above yourselves. Oh, Lord, help me. It's so hard for me. And I'm sure it's so hard for you too. I've earned it. Kathy and I have a sister-in-law. Her name is Wendy. She's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get choked up. I'm sorry, let me not. <laughs> Wendy is my brother Greg, who's a year older than me, his wife. She was diagnosed, diagnosed two months ago with central nervous system lymphoma of the brain. She's 63 years old. She is the epitome, and I mean this, I've known her 45 years. She is the epitome of a godly woman with a joyful spirit who is the glue of her family. They have seven children 18 grandkids.
if anybody I know, and she really is just an amazing woman of God, she's been a pastor's wife for 40 years and has just served. Her life is a life of service. And now this. We're not exempt. And Wendy knows this, and my brother Greg knows this. And they're crying out to God. She's going through mega doses of chemo and will uh, five, four days a month for the next nine months. She's at John Hop, Johns Hopkins Oncology Center in Baltimore. And when Kathy and I got that news, and many of you know that my wife's been through her cancer journey as well, but when we got that news, at least I just said, God, what in the world? This is an amazing woman of God who has faithfully served you her whole life. And we're praying that God will spare her life. But you know, one of the worst things we can do when somebody we love has a really horrible disease is Google it and look at all the, all the stuff. We're not entitled. We're loved by God. But we're not entitled to, you know, healthy till I'm 95 and then die in my sleep. We're not entitled. And so, when I read, do all things without grumbling, disputing, you know, disputing is not just disputing with people you disagree with. Sometimes disputing goes this way, doesn't it? Does it ever with you? God, are you kidding me? God, why in the world? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And again, this flows out of humility of the one who was God from eternity past who left the glories of heaven to become a man. A servant. One who was crucified on a cross. I am so deeply challenged by that. And I'm sure you are too. Entitled, no. Elite, no. Earned it, no. Everything. Do you see that's what the verse says? Everything. Do Everything without grumbling or arguing. See why I say this seems impossible? (laughs) And yet God, by his grace, can allow us to really grow and grow and grow in these areas of our lives. And that's what he wants to do, my dear friends. Verses 15 and 16 I think are so awesome because they give us some of the reason, some of the power of our lives that we experience and the effectiveness of our testimony that we experience when we live the way we're being called to live in this passage. Look at verse 15 with me. So that you may become blameless and pure Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run 
or labor in vain. Here's my phrase. You and I need to embrace our distinctiveness as Christians. We need to embrace it. And the way we embrace it is by living this way. (laughs) Valuing others above ourselves. That you may shine as stars in the sky. That the people who are around you at work, the people who are around you at school, the people who are around you in your neighborhood, they're just around you and they say, you are different. What's up? (laughs) You're so different. You don't grumble. You don't complain. Words, when words come out of your mouth, they always are so encouraging to other people. You seem to be so eager to be helpful. Isn't your life busy? Yeah. You know, you have a bunch of kids. I know that and work and you travel and that kind of thing. And yet you find time. You're so perceptive to, to take out our garbage cans when it's garbage day and we're out of town and mow our lawn. Bring us food when you heard we just got home with a baby. Fill in the blank. You know, you're just, you're different. And you and I need to embrace that distinctiveness. But you know what? Sometimes being different and distinct doesn't make you popular. Do you see where it talks about holding forth the word of truth? So in our department, we're having a discussion about fill in the blank. You know, a lot's going around right now legislatively in many states about abortion. Some of you know that, pro-life. So, so you're there in your department. Okay, you know, three of us have already said we all agree this is ludicrous, what's happening, or whatever they may say. How about you? What do you believe about life? And, you know, the power comes. This is so critical for, for us to get. The power of our lives comes not just because we are loving like Jesus, but because we speak truth. Amen? Because we speak God's truth. We don't have to be harsh about it. We don't have to be mean-spirited about it. But my friends, do not compromise truth. We shine as lights for Jesus because we stand for what God has said is right and what is true. And that's so much a part of this passage. It's not just not being grumbly and argumentative and mean-spirited and impatient. It's also you stand for what God said. You and I are ambassadors for Christ and we speak for the king. Sometimes that does not make you popular. You notice that? I have. It's okay. Just because somebody thinks you're judgmental and mean-spirited and harsh doesn't mean you are. Doesn't mean you are. It might just mean you're speaking for God. You're speaking his truth. And my friends, that's one of the things that makes us bright, shining light, lights for him as we speak the truth. And some of you, that scares you to death. And at some level, it scares all of us to death. We, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of groomed as little children to get along and fit in and be popular and have friends, right? Don't do anything to jeopardize friendships. Don't do anything to make anybody upset. That's not what God's word says. Because sometimes the truth is very hard for people to hear. Just hard for them to hear. And they want to label you. And yet... Um, We're ambassadors for Jesus. And you and I need to speak for him.
Okay, I need to, I need to kind of wrap up here. And I'm not going to take time to read the rest of the passage. Let me just share this with you for the rest of the passage. He says, Hey, Philippian church, I know the stuff I'm sharing with you sounds so incredibly challenging and difficult. And yet, let me give you two examples. Timothy and Epaphroditus. I encourage you to take some time and read 19 to 30 in this chapter sometime. Here's Timothy. You know, he says, Paul says of Timothy, by the way, where's Paul in, in when he wrote the book of Philippi? Any of you know? Oh, prison. He's in prison. And he says, regarding Timothy, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy loves you deeply. And he goes, Here, here's Epaphroditus. Verse 30 says, because Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. You want examples of people who value others above themselves? Timothy, Epaphroditus, two of my very closest beloved sons in the faith. They live it. They live it. And I wouldn't be surprised if many of us sitting here wouldn't say, oh, I have somebody in my life. Who's like that too. They live it. And you and I need to learn to live it. Valuing others above ourselves. Is that a lifelong journey? Is that incredibly challenging? Especially if like me, you you really think you're special. (laughs) You really think you're entitled. Oh, it's so hard. And yet I have the spirit of God in me. You have the spirit of God in you. And he can make you more and more like Jesus. Amen. He really can. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on out. I'm going to pray. Father, how we love you. (laughs) How deeply, deeply challenged we are by this passage. And Father, how we um, just need to confess right now. I confess to you. How valuing others and even considering others as more important than myself is almost the most counter attitude that many days that I have. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for the ways that so often I feel like the world needs to revolve around me and my agenda and my desires. Help me, Father, and help my dear brothers and sisters here because at some degree we all struggle deeply with this. To not have voices that express constantly grumbling and ingratitude, but voices that express praise and thankfulness and worship. That's who we want to be. That's who you've called us to be. And Father, we want our lives to shine as as stars in the sky. We we want to be those who hold firm to truth, even when it's not unpopular. Father, help us to do it in a spirit of humility. Help us to do it in a spirit of love and kindness. And yet, please help us to be courageous when it comes to standing for your truth. We want to be good ambassadors of Jesus as we reflect him to an incredibly needy, dying world. So thank you for this reminder. I pray for each person, Father, that we would understand that that our growth in Christ, your ultimate goal for us is to be like your son. And we have a part to play and you have a part to play. Help us to play our part as we cry out to you 
to empower us to become like your son. May he be glorified and honored in our lives, in our families, in our church. For we pray in his name. Amen.